Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Friday, January 20th, 2023. Now, here's a headline from today's paper to give you an idea what's going on. It's going to be a very Chicago-oriented show, ladies and gentlemen. For all you uh, people who are living outside of Chicago, and I know you exist, because uh, <laughs> I know you're there. Uh, you're going to learn a lot about how the city works, this crazy, insane political climate in the city of Chicago, which you have to be uh, an expert to understand. And even if you are an expert, you probably don't understand it. Uh, but this is a headline to give you just a sense of things. Uh, Chicago mayoral candidate Brandon Johnson, who was a guest on the show uh, not too long ago, Cook County Commissioner uh, and the uh, favorite candidate of the Chicago Teachers Union, my beloved Chicago Teachers Union, uh, did an interview with Fran Spielman over at the Sun-Times, and he came out swinging <laughs> against Jesus Chuy Garcia, a congressman uh, from Chicago. And, uh, oh, my goodness, folks, Chicago politics is so insane. And now, as a political junkie, I understand where Brandon is coming from. He came out swinging, he said, and I'm quoting, it's unfortunate that Congressman Garcia has abandoned the progressive movement. He's proposing an agenda that is being moved by the Fraternal Order of Police. Progressives understand that safe communities require investments. The Garcia campaign had no immediate comment. Now, I understand where Brandon's coming from. We're in the, me in the middle of a heated uh, opening round of the mayoral election. So this is the first round to determine who gets to the second round because nobody's going to get more than 50% of the vote. We all know that. Uh, and so Brandon needs every lefty, not just every lefty, but every progressive. And in Chicago, there's a difference between lefties and progressives, which I will explain to you some other time, ladies and gentlemen. I don't have enough time right now to explain the difference between a lefty and a progressive. So he needs every progressive. And most people are paying attention to Chicago politics. You get what I mean, they're only half paying attention. So they don't realize that to the lefties, Jesus Chewy Garcia is suddenly not a progressive. And it's kind of hard to follow because he was 
Karen Lewis's handpicked candidate in 2015. He was aligned with Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders immediately came to town for him in 2015. That alliance stayed all the way up until November 2020. Now it's like, er, put that car in reverse. <laughs> and I get it. I understand it because I'm a political junkie. I follow this stuff inside and out. I know about the split between lefties and progressives. I know about how Jesus Chuy Garcia was dithering, you know, looking in the mirror, mirror, mirror in the wall. Am I the prettiest of them all? Should I run for mayor? I don't know. Clem Ballinoff talked him into it. I know all this stuff because I'm a political junkie, but 99.9% of people in the city of Chicago have no idea. Huh? Wait a minute. I thought Chewy was the progressive. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I not only have to explain Chicago politics to out-of-towners, out I got to explain it to Chicagoans. Wait a minute. Wasn't Bernie Sanders just coming to town for the dream slate? With Chewy Garcia and Delia Ramirez and Jonathan Jackson, I'm all mixed up and confused. It's a lot of information for voters. I'm just saying, you know, they always talk about the low, what, what do they call it? Low knowledge voter or low informed, some kind of patronizing condiment sending turn to the voter. I'd say it's 99% of the voter because there's like political junkies, my distinguished guest being one of them. She knows absolutely everything I'm talking about right now. She's, she knows, she knows everything I'm saying. You know, there's the there's the political junkies, and then there's just the rest of people going through their life. They can't keep up with it. So Chicagoans out of I know, and they, and they, my favorite are the lefties out of Chicago who only know what they read in like the Nation or in these times. And so, like those papers would have been lauding Jesus Chewy Garcia, and now suddenly you watch one eighty, gonna start slamming them because that's where we are right now. Anyway, it's politics, man. Brandon Johnson wants to win that uh, first round, so he's got to knock uh, Jesus Garcia around. He would not commit in this interview to supporting Jesus Garcia in round two. And we'll see what the world looks like if it comes to that. Politics, politics, politics. All right, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce yourself, and then we are going to do a deep dive on how things work in the city of Chicago. Take it away, distinguished guest. Hi, this is Juanita Irizarry, and I often say uh, I'm the executive director of Friends of the Parks, but I'm not speaking on behalf of Friends of the Parks. And honestly, if you get me talking as a political junkie, I definitely am talking on my own behalf. But I think we will also today talk about some things that really are Friends of the Parks positions about things as well. Yes. And a dear friend of the show, Juanita Irizarry. Uh, comes on frequently with Lori Glenn, great Lori Glenn, political uh, strategist here in the city of Chicago. But uh, this is a lot of Park District politics stories. So uh, I want Juanita uh, in the spotlight to talk about this. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm going to add to that. Leave her alone, people. Okay. Whatever she says in talking to me, just leave her alone. We have First Amendment rights. Okay. So stop picking on Juanita. All right. I often say I didn't grow up for hum in Humble Park for nothing. I'm tough, and you can pick on me, and I can take it. But sure, leave me alone. That'd be fine, too. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So Friends of the Park, I'm just going to say this to folks who may not realize it. It's been around for a long time, uh, and uh, they're a, a group that speaks up for, really, to protect the parks of Chicago. Because, and this is me speaking, not Juanita, but uh, when it comes to mayors and developers, in the city of Chicago, they view the parks not so much as recreational space where people can walk, look at birds, sit under a tree and read poetry, sit under a tree and write poetry, or maybe do something recreate more recreational like playing softball or football or 
flying a kite or jogging or playing tennis on the tennis court. They don't look at parks like that. Oh, no. To them, parks are vacant space that you can fill up with buildings. <laughs> it's cheap. We already own it. I could just see like the advisors advising mayors. We could just build it without buying the land. So Friends of the Parks existed forever and is as fighting all these inside dealers and wheelers who want to build on the parks, Juanita. And for that, they are, they are called everything from elitist to snobs to racist to, I mean, the dirty game, it's Chicago politics, you know, these people are fighting to save parks and they're trying to be, the, the, the other side will try to turn them into uh, like the enemy. So that's kind of the twisted, weird backdrop to what we're going to be talking about. Uh, all right, Juanita, take it away. I read this article in The Reader. Uh, shout out to Anna Isaacs. Great job, in my humble opinion. And um, about a building in the park known as Humboldt Park. And this is something near and dear to you uh, because you are from Humboldt Park. You once ran for political office in Humboldt Park. So just take it away. What in the world is going on in Humble Park where it seems as though without approval, a building is being constructed right in the middle of the park? Take it away. Yeah. So it was fall of 2022 when we became aware of this issue. Um, neighbors started calling the park district. And in fact, we understand that it was a landscaping crew in the park district that also called, you know, senior leadership of the park district to say, hey, there's a building coming out of the ground here right next to the National Museum of Puerto Rican Arts and Culture. And this seems kind of odd. You know, it's a big brick cinder block structure, looks like, um, you know, a Walmart box store in the middle of the park. Um, and we were shocked. And I will say I was especially shocked as someone who lives in the neighborhood Um because I hadn't noticed it and uh, I took to driving my normal routes through the park, although we still, you know, are, are quite a bit remote, so I'm not always out and about. Um, but, you know, the, the direction through which I drive through the park, uh, when I typically do, I couldn't see the structure, but it started coming out of the, out of the ground and everyone started going, what the heck, right? So we immediately um, started making calls to try to figure out what was going on. The park district took very quick action um, and the city um, put a stop order uh, on the construction. So the construction actually is not happening um, at the moment, but there's this big, just unfinished building sitting there in um, next to the parking lot, next to a beautiful historic structure, the former stables and refectory of the um, or receptory, I think is the right word, of Humboldt Park. And... Um, Jens Jensen's uh, office was once there. Jens Jensen being one of those famous landscape architect folks who contributed to the design and development of the Chicago Park District system. Um, so it's a beautiful historic structure and it has, um, you know, it's, it's protected with its historic status as is the park itself. So any construction there would have to, you know, be reviewed under these historic um, review statutes, as well as just the park district giving permission and their building being building permits, none of which happened, which is just mind blowing. And there's certainly much more story, Ben. Let me know which direction you'd like to go. 
All right. Yeah. So just so you know, ladies and gentlemen, this is a big, beautiful park. I know Chicagoans and political junkies, most of whom are listening to the show, don't understand Humboldt Park. But if you don't, if you're from outside of Chicago, there is a neighborhood called Humboldt Park. And it, it's in that neighborhood is a park called Humboldt Park. It's, it can be a little confusing. Uh, there's a book called Humboldt Park, a novel. It came out in the 70s. I know I'm going astray here. Uh, and uh, so I'll bellow. And it is a gorgeous park. Why don't you just take a moment, Juanita, to explain to folks how beautiful and how significant the park, Humboldt Park, is in terms of Chicago Park District history. Go ahead. I mean, it's about a 200-some acre park. It's a larger park in the system, and it does draw folks from around um, the city and the area, but it has been very central to the cultural expressions of the community over, you know, a century, um, a neighborhood that has been, um, you know, an entry point for lots of white ethnic communities. Um, and then most recently in the last, you know, 40, 50 years, the Latino community, but particularly the Puerto Rican community. Um, there's historic boulevards that connect it to other parts of the park system. Um, and when it was built, it was really right on the edge of the city, just outside um, of the area that was bounded by North and Western, which was where the city limits were when the Chicago fire happened, right? So it was kind of a nice idyllic suburban uh, community many, many, you know, over a hundred years ago. Um, but it's been uh, the heart of the Puerto Rican community, um, all of my childhood lifetime living in the community for 50 years, um, and, and a place where, you know, we've gone from very challenging times and the, you know, decades of, of a lot of decline in the community in the 70s and 80s and 90s, but then gentrification um, since then. And so there's also, you know, a lot of challenges around, you know, bad history people have there from, from difficult times to fights over whose park this is today in a community that is changing very rapidly while the Puerto Rican community tries to kind of keep a foothold in the community with the park being a big part of the celebrations uh, of the community and the museum being a part of that um, attempt to, you know, say we shall not be moved from this space as well. And the museum is the... National Museum of Puerto Rican Arts and Culture. It's quite a mouthful. Um, started as the Institute for Puerto Rican Arts and Culture and now is, has national in its name and is serving a role nationally uh, with there not being any other uh, museum of its kind in, in the country. Okay. Uh, and this being Chicago, I can just fully expect uh, the counter-resistance being, oh, you're snobs and elitists. You don't, you don't like Puerto Rican people. Uh, this this will be the fight. This I can recall a similar arguments being made against when the fight over Lucas Museum uh, on the lakefront uh, and the Children's Museum in, uh, in uh, Grant Park. Um, <laughs> just have to laugh just at uh, how Chicagoans, when they want to get down and dirty uh, and justify something that's really unjustifiable, uh, they'll play all these weird cards that have nothing to do with the central issue. Um, so just make that clear, Juanita, you have nothing against uh, the poor. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, as with any issue, you know, things are way more complicated than they may look on the surface, right? Um, you know, there are challenges in the community around, you know, that people might frame under hipsters versus Hispanics and whose park this is. I am Puerto Rican. <laughs> I have lived in this community my whole life. 
I have been part of trying to keep the Puerto Rican community in this space um, per my actually, you know, couple decades of work in affordable housing and personally in relationship with a lot of people who are related to this effort um, to support the museum. Um, as I mentioned in my own testimony at Chicago Park District, um, I'm a donor to the National Museum of Puerto Rican Arts and Culture. I've been involved with the organizations that have, you know, been seeking to promote this museum and, you know, what it represents for our community and staying in the community. Um, so it, 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 it's not a simple us versus them situation at all. Um, and, and it's actually further set in the reality of a community where, um, you know, Humboldt Park, though, the Puerto Rican community has now actually been largely displaced. There are Puerto Ricans left in the community, but it's no longer the place where we have the largest concentration of Puerto Rican population is still the heart of our cultural and political kind of gathering um, along Paseo Boricua, where we have some of our restaurants, a lot of cultural events and in the park itself. Um, but also lots of folks engaged in debate around the status of Puerto Rico, whether it should be um, independent, whether it should become a state, whether it should stay as a commonwealth. And a lot of the arguments in the neighborhood also play out along the divisions that we have within in our own Puerto Rican community along those lines. Um, so that is an additional lens. So as I and Friends of the Parks kind of enter into the space, we are making sure that we are engaging the voices of Puerto Ricans across all of those divisions along the status questions um, so that you know we have Puerto Ricans saying, we love the museum, we love Puerto Rico, regardless of our status opinions, um, but we think the way the museum has approached this issue is wrong and it needs to be rectified. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, let's get to that. No permit. And yet they're constructing a building uh, in the middle of this beautiful park. How is that possible? How did that happen in the city of Chicago? <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, it's kind of mind boggling because, as we have not yet mentioned, but the executive director of the National Museum of Puerto Rican Arts and Culture, Billy Ocasio, was the alderman for the 26th Ward, the ward in which this museum sits, the ward in which the park sits, um, for like 16 years. Um, so he is a man who knows about development in the community. He knows about the need for building permits. Um, and so it is hard to imagine that he and his team did not know that they needed to, at the most fundamental base, have a building permit um, to build a building. And, you know, I have shared that, you know, I know this from very personal engagement um, with Billy Ocasio. I sat on some of his committees in, uh, in regards to affordable housing when he was alderman and was engaged in a number of organizations that collaborated very closely with him on managing development in the community where we saw um, developers trying to put buildings in the ground without building permits in, you know, the race towards gentrification. Um, you know, I have personal knowledge of Billy's efforts to stop that kind of thing. So, you know, unfortunately, he's tried to say that this is, it was just a mistake, some oversight, uh, you know, lack of oversight. But I, I, I see it as, a direct attempt to get a building in the ground before anybody knows, and then to dare us all to make him take it down, right? And despite the fact that he's someone who has been someone I have valued in my own personal life, my professional life, my political life, um, 
I feel like there are some questions of integrity in, in this approach. Um, and it threatens actually the reputation of the Puerto Rican community, which I care so much about. So, you know, we are asking the museum to find a way to walk this back and do it the right way, if there is a right way, to create some expansion of their museum. But certainly the way they've approached it is not the right way. Uh, and uh, so now the Park District finds itself uh, in a dilemma, in a box, if you will. Uh, and um, I, I've always been <laughs> pretty critical of the Chicago Park District, Juanita, down through the years, uh, under all these mayors. Um, wow, Park District. Uh, I just, stuff they do. Um, but at least I got to give a shout out to the Park District, in my humble opinion, and feel free to disagree with me vehemently if you do. They did the right thing when they put a halt to it. So, how it was happening without them realizing, uh, that's a whole other issue, okay? So as soon as I try to say something nice about the Park District, you notice something, all of a sudden, they, you know, you figure like, hello, Park District, what? how did you not know this thing was being built in the middle of Humboldt Park? Mm -hmm. You know, th that's, that's a good question. And I, I will say, you know, right when we started hearing about this, I um, ran into an old friend who I've done a lot of work with. Um, alongside Billy Ocasio, who I said to, you know, hey, what is going on here? What do you think is happening? And that person told me that they understood that the museum actually did have permission and that they were moving forward with permission, right? And so I said, well, I would love to see evidence of that because I got to tell you, we don't trust the park district necessarily when they tell us that you know, whatever they tell us, we have to think about whether we think it's true, right? So I asked that person to, you know, take this question back up the food chain within, you know, the Puerto Rican leadership spaces and say, if there's real evidence that you all had um, permission, Friends of the Parks are not afraid to beat up the park district around that. But we have not found any permissions. We did not get any response from that request, you know, up to the museum to show us if they actually have permission. And all the FOIAing, the Freedom of Information Act requests, efforts that actually Preservation Chicago has been leading um, have led to no evidence of any permissions um, at any level um, that were formal, right? Now, it is possible, in my mind, that former superintendent of the parks, Mike Kelly, you know, gave a little wink and a nod to Billy Ocasio, uh, you know, folks who've been engaged with each other for many years and, you know, political and public administration roles. It is possible that there was some little wink and a nod with no written permission. I wouldn't put that past Mike Kelly and Billy Ocasio. However, there was no building permit applied for. There was no written permission from the Chicago Park District, and it is a breach of their lease uh, of the museum's uh, lease with the Park District to have moved forward on this with no permission. Um, and there was an application to the State Historic Preservation Office, uh, and there was a, a federal, uh, I'm sorry, a state grant that's provided some of the monies for this, where they got money, but what they represented to the state that they were building is different than what is actually coming out of the ground, right? And 
what we have found in their conversations with the State Historic Preservation Office was very flimsy, like, okay, yeah, that might be something, you know, like, but it, it you know, and, and, and we do understand that there were some very initial conversations with the park district, but it was like, okay, we hear that you have an idea, come back to us with an actual proposal, right? And that none of those things happened, right? Um, and and the, the park district's process would have also required a community meeting, right? And that has not happened, right? So again, I have a real hard time believing that Billy Ocasio and the leadership of the museum, again, many of whom I know and have cared for and have been important in my life, um, didn't know that they should have done this a different way. Well, I, I got to tell you, I was just smiling when you, that was a great riff, by the way. Uh, the possibility that Mike Kelly, who is no longer, ladies and gentlemen, just so you know this, he's no longer in charge of the parkers. He left uh, on another uh, scandal having to do with lifeguards. Danny Mialopoulos, shout out. WBEZH reporter was on the show several times uh, talking about the sexual assault of lifeguards uh, at, uh, what is it, North Avenue Beach, et cetera, and so forth. So uh, Mike Kelly's gone. He's not even around anymore at the Park District. Uh, so I'm, I just, when you said that thing about a wink and a nod, I was smiling because, you know, it's like, guys, winks and nods uh, are not like legal approvals, okay? Like, if I just built a giant uh, bar, outdoor uh, bar in my, where my garage is, without any permit, without any approval, uh, and all the neighbors were going crazy, and the city started sending an inspector. And I go, no, you don't understand. The alderman winked at me, and he nodded at me. I took that. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. I know you think it works that way in Chicago, a lot of you Chicagoans, but there's actually, even in the city of Chicago, as corrupt as it is, there is a process that you have to follow. Now, they're always, they're very flexible in Chicago. You know, they'll look for every, they got really smart lawyers that'll find every crease and crevice that they can uh, to enable them to do something they know they shouldn't do and justify it. Like they're building the Obama Center in the middle of Jackson Park. I don't know how that got through, but whatever it did. Uh, so we're very clever people here in the city of Chicago. We can figure it out. But you, come on. Billy Ocasio, you got, you got, you got to go a little more than I, you got to file a document at least asking for permission to build something in a park. That's just my opinion. I don't. Do you think I'm too radical on this, Juanita? When I say this, I mean, golly gee, you you know, building permits. Even you know, even if you think that the park land is yours to do whatever you want, you still file permits to build a structure just anywhere right so yeah it, it's pretty amazing and i will say that since then they have filed building permits and they have been denied um so and they have been what did you say i couldn't deny the park district oh, i mean the city has that. denied the yeah. applications that they have put in since then right and there are a bunch of parts of the process that they didn't do like and there's all this this disconnect between what they've said they're going to do and what they're building, right? So the initial hand-drawn little sketches that they sent to the state about what they wanted to do was a, supposed to be a 1,500-square-foot structure, which was meant to be a museum archives. And then there's something that says that they're trying to build a 4,000-square-foot structure, and what's actually coming out of the ground is a 6,000-square-foot structure and it does not have the elements that typically 
a museum archives building would have. And this is information we've gotten through friends of ours through Preservation Chicago who have their experts who know about the museum, the museum archives business. Um, it looks more like a building that is going to host events and it has a spot for catering, um, a catering kitchen. Um, and so they have not been honest in any part of this process, which in and of itself to me is a reason to shut it all down because they cannot be trusted to do what they say they're going to do, right? So even if there's now community review and other processes, how do we know they're actually going to do what they say that they're going to do? So uh, you said something uh, a little while ago that I, I jotted down and want to follow up with as we conclude our discussion of this. Uh, it, it seems one might think it was an attempt to get the, the, the building in the ground uh, and then dare everybody to force them to take it down, uh, which that is so Chicago right there. Um, uh, so in, you know, in your humble opinion, where is this heading? Will it come to uh, a park district order to take the building down or will the park, park district turn around to you and go, Anita, you know, I mean, I, I hear you. They should have had the building permit, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, come on, it's already up. So, uh, and Billy's a really nice guy. So let's let the building stay, which is, I could see, you know, that is very Chicago too. Uh, how do you see this going? Um, well, the Chicago park district is very changed under new superintendent Rosa Escareño. We are happy to see that there are some things happening differently there. Um, and from what we understand at this point, they are communicating with the museum about having to kind of go back to square one um, to be clear about what it is they're trying to do and have a real process to vet whether what they're trying to do fits within, you know, historic preservation standards, their lease, all these other things, right? Um, we probably hope the park district would be a little stronger with them. And um, Friends of the Parks looks forward to pressuring the park district to make sure that the park district stays on course and is as strong with them as possible. Um, and that we, you know, we, Friends of the Parks, are very committed to engaging the community right, and having community residents across the spectrum of who lives in the neighborhood um, speak up as to what they expect. I will also say that Friends of the Parks has already said out loud that our board has authorized us to move towards litigation if we need to do that, um, and we will keep both the museum and the park district under threat of that, um, but we will and we have already been talking to lawyers. Um, so, but we really also, you know, think it's super important that the community be engaged. And I, and I will say for me personally, um, this also sits in the context of an aldermanic election where Alderman Maldonado has stepped away, is retiring, and there are people running for office who ought to be asked what role they may have had in this. Um, and if they didn't know anything about it before, what would they do about it? in their leadership role as uh, elder person. So we uh, will agitate to get the community asking those questions um, and keep the pressure on. 
And uh, Roberto Maldonado was the alderman of the 26th Ward. Billy Ocasio used to be the alderman of the 26th Ward. I believe he was the alderman, am I right, right before Maldonado? Was there anyone in between? Yeah, I don't think there was anyone in between. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, this is a story that will be unfolding over the next few months. All right, uh, I'm going to pivot with a question. I got uh, Juanita, so I need to, our uh, regular Soldier Field update. Uh, and the Soldier Field, of course, is the beautiful stadium on the lake uh, that uh, where the Chicago Bears play their home games. Uh, in about what was it twenty years ago? I want to say the Chicago Bears cut a deal uh, with Mayor Daley, and Mayor Daley got uh, taxpayers to kick in. I want to say about six hundred million dollars uh, in, in hotel motel taxes, which could go to other things, but no, they're going to the Bears. Uh, to rebuild Soldier Field so it would fit the Bears' needs. Uh, here we are in the year 2022, and the Bears say, no, We th- thanks for the $600 million, which, by the way, the city still hasn't completely paid off the obligation. Uh, but we're out of here. We're going to Arlington Heights, and we're going to build ourselves a pleasure dome. So see you, Chicago. Wouldn't want to be you. Uh, and in, uh, in a, what looks like a desperate Hail Mary effort to keep the Bears uh, in Chicago, and also maybe to um, gin up support for another development deal across uh, Lakeshore Drive. It's always complicated in Chicago, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Mayor uh, Lori Lightfoot and her advisor, uh, a developer named Dunn, have come cooked up a proposal to put a dome over Soldier Field and turn it into a year-round pleasure palace uh, that would keep for the Bears, but if, even if the Bears leave, it would be used for other things. I have very strong opinions about this, but at the moment, I would love to hear your thoughts about uh, the proposal uh, that the mayor and her stadium advisor put out uh, a few weeks ago about putting the dome over Soldier Field. First of all, I got to tell you that I was on vacation uh, around the holidays, and there was a meeting called of the Museum Campus Working Group. Um, and despite the fact that I was on vacation, I decided to get on that Zoom to know what the city was talking about. And did they talk about the fact that they were about to release new plans for the stadium? Absolutely not. Um, of course, I get back from vacation and I'm watching the news and I see this announcement, right? So that's kind of how things work, right? And no surprise about that. Um, anyway, you know... Uh, personally, and I think Friends of the Park's assessment is, you know, it seems like the bears are gone <laughs> um, and that this is really, um, I don't know, you know, a, a last ditch effort to make the mayor look strong to maybe the folks that she's courting to support her campaign um, because it doesn't seem real that the bears would stay at this point. Um, certainly Bob Dunn, the developer, you know, is trying to get one central done and, you know, definitely, you know, has history of stadium development and is very much still working hard to get what he wants as well. Right. Um, but again, this was not vetted with, you know, the robust group of the museum campus. Certainly we were not invited to the table. So I saw the video, you know, on the news and on the website and um, don't have enough real information, but it seems like what they want to build is probably going to, you know, could could draw a lawsuit from us in terms of, um, you know, 
expanding the footprint of an existing structure. We had certainly in our role as a museum campus, working group said to the city, if you're thinking about anything there, we would like to know what you're thinking about and tell you where, you know, we think it could happen within the limits of the law and our interests. Um, and of course, we keep getting shut out of those conversations. So um, we think it's kind of ridiculous. Um, I will say, you know, it, it has been said out loud, and I have also heard it behind the scenes that there are some who believe maybe another professional football team could be attractive. Um, and maybe that's still on the table in Lightfoot's mind as well. Um, but Friends of the Parks would probably would push back pretty hard if this were a real thing trying to move forward. And we, we just don't think um, there's a scenario being created yet where it's actually feasible um, financially and where the taxpayers wouldn't pay uh, a burden. And that's the other thing we've asked for is like, show us the financial feasibility where this would also not burden taxpayers. Uh, I real as a, a football fan, I could tell you, I really doubt there's a second football team ever coming to the city of Chicago. And a way a long, long, long time ago, long before Juanita was born, uh, there were two football, professional football teams in the city of Chicago. Uh, there was a team called the Chicago Cardinals, and then they moved to St. Louis, and then they eventually ended up uh, here in Arizona. So I, there, I just don't see a second team coming to the city of Chicago. Uh, and so that's just a pipe dream in my humble opinion. I'm, I alluded to the novel Humble Park, which is a great novel by Saul Bellow, who was born in Chicago, went to Thule High School, which is in Humble Park, the neighborhood, not the park people. And um, Thule High School no longer exists. Yeah, Clemente High School is there now, yeah. but Thule was still there when I was a young girl. Little. Yes, Thule High School was converted into, a, I think it's a junior middle school. Anyway, neither here nor there. Uh, the point is the theme, one of the themes of the novel Humble Park is that nothing is legit in Chicago, that people are always uh, scamming you somehow or other, that behind the scenes, whatever they say up front, behind the scenes, something else is going on. Uh, and that's Chicago. And that's just the way it is. And that's like a metaphor for life. Okay. And so that's kind of one of the... Um, one of the themes in the book, Humble, the novel, Humble Park. And having listened to you talk about what went down in Humble Park, the park, with uh, the museum's construction all of a sudden appearing without a permit, and what's going on in Soldier Field in the middle of another park uh, in which, you know, they're uh, tying the development uh, of, of Soldier Field, the redevelopment of Soldier Field, again, uh, to this development across the uh, Lakeshore Drive that may or may not happen. And the guy who's developer across from Soldier Field is the advisor to the mayor on Soldier Field. Nothing has changed in the city of Chicago, Juanita, since Saul Bellow wrote Humboldt's Gift in 1975. Nothing has changed fundamentally. There is still that Chicago approach where you tell the public one thing and you do something else. And then if you get caught, it's like, oh, oh I, I needed a permit? I, who knew? You need, wait a minute, hold on one more time. You need a permit to build something in a park? I did not know that. You know, it's, it's, it is funny because it, it, we worry that there's a race, you know, to build in, in parkland. Um, we heard it a lot at the museum campus working group and even people talking about 
creating, making the lake our new like real estate frontier and building stuff in the lake. And we had to say, wait a minute, hold your horses, right? Our, our parks and our lake are not just spaces waiting for development. Right. Um, but there are definitely voices that come from all different directions, interestingly, um, about that kind of thing. Right. And so that's actually one of the reasons we're pushing back so hard that this building in Humble Park has to be torn down, because if not, it sends a message that, well, whoever is first to just get something in the ground, then, you know, we won't stop you. Right. So there has to be a strong message sent that it's not OK. Yeah. And by the way, uh, this kind of behavior, many of the people, let me say this, who are pushing for these developments, who could benefit from the developments, live on the North Shore. Winnetka, Wilmette, up to Lake Forest. There is no way. I know the North Shore. I went to Evanston High School. I know the North Shore. There is no way you're going <laughs> to, in Wilmette or Winnetka, you're just going to build in the middle of Gilson Park. Oh, I didn't know. Could you imagine if that developer at Gilson Park, which is, Park on the lakefront and we'll met. Wait a minute. Hold on now. Slow up there. You're going fast for me. You need a permit to build in a park? I did not know that. Only in Chicago, Juanita. Uh, all right. We're almost out of time. So we don't have a whole bunch of time to take the deep dive into this. So I'll have to bring you back. Uh, NASCAR. <laughs> in, speak, <laughs> I can't even get it out. It's so bizarre. They're going to Turn Grant Park, or not literally the park itself, but all the roads around it, into a raceway uh, on the 4th of July, and NASCAR will run its race. They're going to put up temporary bleachers. Lord knows how much going to charge people. Um, it just sounds like a total ripoff and a bad idea. And this is me speaking, not Juanita. This is Ben, not Juanita. Um, That's all right. I'll agree with you. Okay. <laughs> I never want to get, get you in trouble with whatever comes out of my mouth. So... Um, uh, Juanita, help me here. Uh, is there any sign in your humble opinion, having studied all this, that this actually, uh, the NASCARization of Grant Park would be beneficial to people in Chicago? Um, that, I mean, doubtful, right? I mean, I'm sure there are some people who will find it fun, right? There's some people who said, oh, I think it'll be really cool, right? I mean, there's a few people. Whether those people will actually be able to afford any tickets or anything or even get anywhere near it, I, I don't know. But, um, you know, there's a lot of problems both around process and product. Um, you know, this whole NASCAR thing, you know, very much seems to have been something that came from the mayor's office with, you know, little to no communication with the park district. Um, and the park district was just put in the position of having to respond and figure out how to make it work to the best of their abilities. Um, you know, we so we pick on the park district a lot, but in this case, it doesn't seem like the park district had much choice in this. Um, and so, you know, we just have been troubled by the decision-making processes um, that have not been very transparent, um, you know, at, at the city level, city of Chicago, you know, which is separate. The park district is a separate governmental entity, which a lot of people don't understand, right? Um, so there's process questions and, you know, there were bits going out in the news about the fact this was happening long before even the contract, I think, with NASCAR was finalized. And so, you know, it, it's been hard to even analyze it because there's not a public document that is available to, to, to review and ask questions until it's too, too late in the game, right? So there's a lot of process questions. 
Um, you know, we have been fielding complaints for a long time, even before NASCAR, about the number of events happening in Grant Park that close off much of Grant Park to non-paying customers, to people who just want to walk around, want to walk the dog, want to have a picnic, want to go from here to there. And NASCAR is just going to gate off a whole bunch more of Grant Park for a long time. So we put that together with Lollapalooza and, you know, the many other events that happen in Grant Park, some of which are nice, you know, some of which are of a scale that by themselves are okay. But when you kind of string it all together, Grant Park is less and less available to the public that is not paying to be at the event behind the gates, right? Um, and, you know, we've been talking quite a lot about the fact that residential development downtown, you know, became a real important um move under Rahm Emanuel, but there has not been a development of additional green space to go with the number of additional bodies living downtown, right? And so while we all value Grant Park as our front yard for all of Chicago, and all of us should be able to go there and enjoy it, and we do, people who live down there, even if, you know, some people say to me, well, you know, those people, they're rich, they, you know, I don't need to care what, well, they need a place to walk their dog to, right? I mean, so there's, there's needs that have to be considered for that go with residential development in terms of the amount of green space per capita that have not been considered in the way Chicago has done its downtown development. And so the stresses are getting greater and greater. At the same time, we also see, or at least has seen, I don't know if we know yet under Rosa, Rosa Escareño as the superintendent of the park district, but it seemed like Lollapalooza, for example, was allowed to leave their gates up longer and longer. Like it would take longer to, to break everything down and get everything back to normal or to, you know. And so where's the pressure to make sure that these events get in and get out as fast as possible so that everybody who wants to be enjoying these parks can enjoy them? All of those things. I will also just say that we think maybe there at least have been some concessions. We know that the museums in the parks also had some struggles with this NASCAR idea. Like Art Institute was concerned that the vibrations from this were going to impact their collection. And that is a thing we'd heard before about other museum issues. And the Art Institute has had that problem with the trains, you know, going through Grant Park, etc. We also understood that some of the museums really felt like their patrons weren't going to be able to get to the museum to, you know, enjoy the museums during the period of NASCAR, right? And the amount of time that so much of of Grant Park is off limits, really. And so that they were going to lose money, you know, and these are nonprofits with very thin margins, right, that just want to keep their doors open to the, you know, for our benefit, right? And they were saying, wait a minute, you know, we already have our budget for next year based on our projections, and now you've changed all the calculations because for all that time, people are not going to be able to get here because so much is going to be blocked off. We have a guess that maybe there have been some deals to help address some of that. I can't confirm that for sure, for sure, but think that some of that might be happening. Um, which, I mean, at least we're glad there are nonprofit museums. I think it's important that they be supported. Um, but it's very complicated, right? And, and the pushing that has to be done to think about those things that wasn't thought about in the upfront planning, in part because it's such a behind-the-scenes secretive process, right, is also part of the problem. So there's wow, all that. Well, wow, well done. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, about the impact on the Art Institute having these cars racing around, and uh, yeah, no, it's um, it's another inside deal. You could uh, too bad Saul Bellows uh, not around to write Humble Part Two, 
and he could include NASCAR coming to Chicago, uh, the ultimate Chicago uh, inside deal. And then, and of I, course, I gotta say, I keep yeah. having nightmares of like a car flying through the air and like hitting one of the lions in front of the museum. And, oh my goodness, you know, yeah. honestly, that's not exactly where the route goes, but that's yeah. kind of the, the symbol in my mind and just yeah. the danger and all the other things about it. It just seems like a crazy place to do it if you just analyze it at that yeah. level. Yeah, no, it would have to be a heck of a spill out to go all the way from the uh, east end of, of the uh, Art Institute over the Art Institute to hit this lion. But you're, it's a nightmare. I could hear you. I, it's a, it's like, yeah, it, it, I, I never thought it was a good idea to do it. I never saw a public benefit. And uh, the city, I mean, they didn't put out the public benefits. Um, so it's a classic Chicago inside deal. Uh, here we are in 2022. And really, what's the difference between NASCAR and Meg's Field? You know what I'm saying? Like in Meg's Field, Mayor Daly brought in his crew to tear up the runway uh, without getting any approvals. He said he had the authority because it was a safety hazard ultimately. Uh, and then, he, you know, it's, it's, hey, I did it. You can't bring it back. Sorry. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then just turning over this valuable chunk of land, uh, for NASCAR without any hearing, as far as I know. Uh, and, you know, ask the residents, do they want it? Ask the aldermen, do they want it? Ask the people of the city of Chicago. Nope, Chicago. Um, Juanita, uh, thank you so much. It's always a blast talking to you. And I love these updates. Keep up the good work and don't let them get you down with all the dumb things that people say because you're doing a good job. Well, thanks. Hey, and let me just mention, Friends of the Parks has candidate questionnaires out there with mayoral candidates and aldermanic candidates. We don't endorse candidates, but we will have answers um, that come back um, posted on our website if folks want to see if candidates even answer our questions, <laughs> how they feel about some of these issues. And certainly the NASCAR race and Humble Park stuff are among the things that, that we have on these questionnaires. All right, very good. That's Juanita Irizarry from Friends of the Park. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Bye.